But yeah, I um, <laughs> I was gonna say I, I don't worry. I, I only wrote a, ju- a Justin level synopsis for my issue. Like I was Yay. like, I'm not. I was like, maybe I should read this whole freaking like thing from the Marvel wiki or whatever. And then I was like, no, that'll be like an hour. No. Whenever I see stuff like that, it's it's just like, are you fucking for real? Like, I mean, it's a synopsis, not a fucking blow by yeah. fucking blow i mean come on like it's I mean, literally like a paragraph for every panel in the comic almost like <laughs> yeah and you're just like holy shnikes i hadn't read your comic in uh, 23 years probably mike so it was it was slowly coming back to me and i was like trying to remember what I was going on with the X-Men at that time. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there was a lot of oh, yeahs. I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, and that yeah. was the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, ew, it's maggot. Ew. <laughs> I was, that was what I, I was like, oh, yeah, ew. Go a whole, we can't go a whole episode with the X-Men without mentioning maggot, just like in the opening. <laughs> God damn. God damn it. But I was kind of like... You ruined it. I ruined it. I was just kind of... Oh, look, it's Beast, and he's not a big duty head. Like, you know, it's, I forgot what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I had, like, I, I was like, I had read your comic before, too, Justin. So I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this, like... I forgot mine was like double sized. Yeah, well, mine I knew mine was, but yeah, I was like, this one seemed is reading, and then I looked at the page count. I was like, thirty-seven pages. What? Aha! I have twenty-two pages, like a normal comic. Aha! <laughs> yeah, but you pulled a Tony, so boo. What? What are you talking it's about? A, it's a, a it's a tie-in. So what? It's fucking done in one, dude. <laughs> Uh, well, I kind of know what I kind of know what's going on, but Mike, do you have any clue about uh, invasion and all this bullshit? No, I was totally confused and swore off reading comics you guys forever. Suck, dude. You guys Yay. Suck. <laughs> I win. Why well, I have to read suck. other things? I have to With figure this double-sized X-Men <laughs> issue that has fucking <laughs> it's part thirty-seven of five hundred. Fuck you guys. Come on. <laughs> Derek, if it isn't if it isn't a brand new Starman number one, I'm totally lost. You lose. Don't, you don't lose. Remember us names, fucking posers. <laughs> God. So you wanna you wanna do this then? Yeah, since let's we're, since, since we're already yeah. Like, All right. Take it away, there. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 
See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs and <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm gonna go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. Just get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another mutant-erific Baxter-building-tastic episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but I am not alone. I am with two, count them, two of my fellow treacherous fan holes why don't you traders give a shout out you fucking traders and let everybody know who's on the call tonight hello i'm michael the red and i'm here to put you both on trial and this is justin yeah so we're here we're here to do a, a good old rando comics mofo episode we were we were jonesing to do one of those so we we all made our picks and of course mine's the the oldest and everybody's giving me shit about it because uh, it's a DC comic. And this comic is Starman, issue number five. It was on sale October 25th, 1988. The cover price was a dollar. The title is, don't you know there's a war on? It was a invasion tie-in. It's part of the First Strike set of tie-ins. The writer was Roger Stern. Penciler was Tom Lyle. Inker, Robert Allen Smith. Letterer, Robert M. Pinaha. Colorist, Juliana Ferrier and editor Robert Greenberger. And this is mostly stolen from DCFandom.com. It's not very long at all. Starman has been captured by the power elite and is being helped in the Hutchins Institute. Harold Melrose is determined to steal his powers and top scientists examine the body while the elite bicker amongst themselves. They are interrupted by reports of the Great Invasion and the Alien Alliance's attack on Australia. Debating over the validity and seriousness of the threat, they are unaware of a Durland spy who takes Melrose's form and uses it to kidnap Starman with the intention of sending him to the mothership for experiments. On the trip back, Starman awakens from his containment and bursts out, defeating the Kun pilot assigned to him. Still within the strange spaceship, he meets up with Firestorm, Firehawk, and Power Girl, who have been enlisted by the government into the combat against the invaders. Starman is surprised to see that professional superheroes would want his help, since he has never been in the company of any pros before. They pilot the craft into the fleet of Kuns stationed in the Fiji Islands, where the craft explodes as it is fired upon. The heroes fly out at the last second from the explosion to continue the war effort. Easy Company is also stationed on the islands, and as soon as they see the cavalry, they begin launching an infantry offensive of their own. They decimate the alien fleet, the encampments, and their soldiers. Will, aka Starman, notes how cold-bloodedly his fellow heroes fight against the attackers in the heat of combat. In the midst of it all, Starman finds Adam Strange being tortured and interrogated. As the battle is won, Starman punches out the interrogator, frees Adam Strange, along with his intel. Triumphant in this single skirmish, everyone pitches in to assist the cleanup crew with the prisoners. Adam Strange then reports in with news from Captain Adam that a council of war is being held to coordinate forces for the duration of the crisis, and they are all required to attend. Power Girl asks Starman to stick it out with them, and he agrees to head out with his newfound friends. The end. Done in one. 
done in one. Uh, I, I just, I, one, I have a bunch of nostalgia for Invasion and Starman, and it was a Spinnerack comic for me. Uh, this was the first Starman issue I ever bought. I frequently say this. I, I think it has something to do with Roger Stern being the writer on it, but this version of Starman, which you know, I guess, you know, I don't know, a bunch of us called the PB&J Starman because his costume kind of looks like peanut butter and jelly or whatever, is uh, usually in the the trinity of DC characters that I will often reference as what turned my Marvel zombie friends in or turned them on to, to reading DC Universe comics, basically. And, it, it, you know, it's just a pattern I noticed with various Marvel zombie head people or you know like people that were you know hardcore marvel and they're like oh you like dc and dc sucks and all this other stuff but even through all that it was always usually wally west flash nightwing and will payton starman like those were the three that i noticed sort of i don't know managed to sort of grab a hold of people and and made people interested and i i think that's probably largely due to Roger Stern's writing and stuff like that. But for me, I mean, obviously I grew up, I watched, you know, a lot of DC stuff on TV, whether it was, you know, Superman, Batman 66, you know, seeing the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. And then I'd say for larger DC stuff, you know, I'd point to things like Challenge of the Super Friends, the legendary Superpower show. Like that's the main reason why I picked this up when I was a kid, because the cover looked super cool to me but i only recognized one guy i recognized firestorm because i knew him from the galactic guardians the legendary superpower show i had a firestorm superpowers toy so i knew i knew who firestorm was and so that kind of you know i i i think that's how i always operated even when i was first getting into comics was like what do i recognize from toys and and cartoons and and other stuff like movies whatever like what am i familiar with and 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 did i like that stuff and then it led me to think oh well maybe i'll like this and i i read a crap ton of the invasion tie-ins and everything like that and i mean i guess you know you know we're we're these guys are giving me shit for for fun or whatever but but like the i i did not have every single invasion comic right like i don't even think i got the first issue you know what i mean like because i i think i had the second issue and i had the third issue but i never got the first issue until i found like you know comic book specialty shops and and you know stores that sold back issues so i mean i was kind of coming into it you know the you know not not at the ground floor i guess you know not precisely at issue one but i mean i could you know to me i was like learning the ropes i was trying to figure stuff out like what was what was the same as the cartoons i had watched you know like the super friends and stuff and what was a little different and so you know that that was just a learning curve thing but i've always appreciated that crossover just because it was my personal first introduction to what i consider like the wider dc universe and i i think also you know like there's there is the aspect of they're being invaded by aliens so there's that aspect that i always like where it, it has something to do with space even though they're not in outer space for the entire crossover and and i think on top of that too i mean maybe i'll throw this in the ring as well but it's an interesting 
dynamic because it's a wartime comic book. Like it, it's got that flavor of things like Gundam where it's got that, you know, I don't know if Gundam is real robot genre when it comes to wartime experiences, like this is kind of like, to me, at least it, it's, it's a bit of the, the real superhero genre because they're they're They are, you know, basically conscripted you know you're like oh you're drafted you're now you know you're now serving in this fight and aliens have invaded australia as opposed to uh you know i guess in gundam they they nuke the hell out of it right they drop a colony on australia but still for some reason australia is the uh you know the 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 center point for for a lot of these events or whatever whether it's science fiction or not I mean, I've got some more notes on things and everything, but I'm 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 kind of curious. I imagine none of you guys have read this before, like a, any Starman, or or maybe Justin's read some Starman. I don't know. I've read some of this Starman, like the Will Payton Starman, but very few issues. Like I could probably count the number of issues on one hand. Okay. No, nope. I mean, not at no, all. Not at all. And like, what I mean, I you know, yeah, I know it was part of a, a, a crossover and it's a tie-in, but I mean, you know, once you get past, I mean, it kind of starts out with his ongoing story, right? They give you a couple pages of, you know, he was captured by his his bad guys and this and that, but then, you know, then then he sort of gets recaptured by, you know, the the alien invaders, you know, this it, it's like five different you know, races team up basically, or I guess there, you know, there's a sixth race that becomes involved, but you know, there's this alliance of mostly aliens from the Legion of Superheroes comics. Right. And, and it's like the dominators, the Cuns, and, um, the Durlins show up in this, right. The Durlins are the equivalents of scrolls, right. They shapeshift and disguise themselves and all that other stuff. I guess you don't see the, the Gildish fan or the, the, the Hawk, you know, the, the Thanagarians, right, in, in this, but they, they're also part of that alliance along with the Daxamites later on, right? So, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, was this like super difficult, like for reals, or or could you guys follow what was going on? I mean, I could follow for all my joking. I mean, I can I can follow what's going on. Like I understood it was taking place like, well, you know, there was something more important happening in the background. Like they are there, you know, they're saying, oh, what are the other there's another battle going on over there and stuff like and, you know, you see. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I got what was going on. What about you, man? What about you, Justin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with invasion. I never read every tie-in or everything but it's it's been a minute since i read it so i had to yeah, kind of like yeah. go okay what's going on here okay and then i never read this issue or this tie-in before do you so, remember do you remember what like some of the other like i, I assume the other starman issues weren't invasion tie-ins that you had read but do you remember sort of what issues are around the time frame that you like was he in the the red white and black outfit or was he in this outfit I want to say I read the first two issues of this, mm -hmm. and then like the other issues I read it was probably like the black. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But mainly my familiarity with this version of the Starman comes from like the um, Robinson uh, Starman oh, series. Okay. Like that's that's kind of where I like learned this guy's existence, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that rings a bell. Like I, I seem to remember seeing that comic in the quarter van a lot, and I just never, it just never grabbed me and. You know, I'm also a fan of Roger Stern. I, I had no idea he wrote that. If I had known, I probably would have 
picked it up just out of curiosity because I like his work. But like, you know, that the Robinson Starman series is one of my favorite comics ever. And one of the things I love about it is it eventually explores all the people who have held the title of Starman, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. Will Payton, Jack Knight, Ted Knight, Prince Gavin, Michael Thomas, like they all get a little spotlight. It was interesting learning about all those different characters and how they came and went throughout the DC universe and the different, you know, time period, whether it was like the 40s or the 70s or you know, right here, the late 80s. But I, I don't know. I was just never that curious about this version of Starman to read some of his back issues like Michael Thomas and Prince Gavin. I've read quite a bit of their issues, but I, I don't know, just something about this. I just never... It just never grabbed me for whatever reason. I don't, and I can't really explain why. Like, I'm not, I mean, I was giving you shit earlier, but I'm not opposed to reading more about this. It just, for whatever reason, I guess I just had different priorities. Like, oh, I'm going to read, you know, a bunch of Aquaman or I'm going to read some Brave and the Bold I've never read. Yeah. It's interesting because, because for me, it's like I came to this when it was new and hip and, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like I, right. you know, ba- basically I was like, oh, I wore a, I wore a Will Payton Starman on my belt. It was the style at the time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it was, it was, yeah. it was in and hip and whatever. But like, I, I mean, Roger Stern wrote this literally for two years and then he stopped after issue 24. And then, you know, after that, the comic kind of meandered a bit. I mean, they gave him a new costume. They, you know, I mean, the thing that I remember the most about it that that maybe also might have contributed to increased sales was like, you know, the Phantom Lady seemed to be like a somewhat of a supporting cast member by that point. So it's like if you liked, you know, if you thought Phantom Lady was hot, which I'm sure most people do. Right. Like then then there's that you know, enticement to to check out the book and whatever. But I mean, by the time Eclipse of the Darkness Within rolled around and War of the Gods, I mean, this this comic was on its last legs. And, you know, essentially, like, for all intents and purposes, you know, be, because it ended after what, maybe like, I'd say four years or so, like, for me, it was four years of like, current you know, you know, I, I mean, this Starman would be one of those Marvel legends that I'd yell and scream about, which would be like, why are you making a figure of this guy? Because he's the new hotness. But like, imagine the new hotness, like, you know, 20 years down the road when it's like not the new hotness and it's barely a blip on anybody's radar. Like, so I, I mean, I can kind of understand that. Like, it's just for me, this this landed in the right you know, the right time, the right place or whatever. So I'm I'm definitely fond of the title and the character. I mean, my my reading history with it wasn't like I I wasn't religiously reading this, but it's like this was the first issue that I came to, like that I bought off the stands. And I continued to read like some of the invasion tie-ins. I, I think this might have been the first time because I, I, I think uh subsequent issues like have lady quark and and pariah and stuff so that might have been the first time without realizing it that i encountered those characters from crisis you know like sort of you know before i had read crisis on infinite earths and then later there were other things to entice me to continue reading because they had a whole arc with like batman and blockbuster and it was like the new version of blockbuster basically after brimstone had killed the original 
blockbuster in the Legends crossover when he was part of the Suicide Squad. So, like, there there, there were other reasons for me to sort of continue reading the book for, for a period of time. And then, uh, you know, for sure I lost track of it for a little bit. But I think, like, a lot of the tie-ins and different things like that, you know, the, the tie-ins to Eclipso and War of the Gods and all this other stuff where they, they finally, you know... I guess, kill off Will Payton at the end of that Eclipso, the Darkness Within miniseries. Like, that was kind of like, you know, what what I essentially followed as far as, you know, and, 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 you know, once I found back issues and comic specialty shops, like, I did fill in some of the gaps of what I missed. And, and I think the main books that I really have fondness for from this run are from the first two years. Like, it's, I, I really like Tom Lyle. This was my first exposure to Tom Lyle's artwork. I mean, he hadn't done, I mean, he, he had worked on some Eclipse comics, which I'm not very familiar with, but th- th- I think this was his first big, you know, uh, of the big two, right, of Marvel and DC. This is his first big mainstream work, and and he worked on the book about as long as uh, Roger Stern, I think. And then, you know, for me, like, I mean, I think of you know, all the great books he did after that, you know, like he worked on Robin, all the miniseries and stuff like that. He he did Impact Comics as the Comet. He did Detective Comics. He did Spider-Man. And he did that. I'm sure when we were talking about you, you asked me, Justin, like, oh, what Punisher book should I read? I'm sure I brought up the the ponytail Punisher from Tom Lyle, you know, where it was like the the revival series or whatever, because I'm, I'm rather fond of that. I mean, there's there's other books he's worked on that I'm not super keen on but I mean these are all the books that I think of when when I think of Tom Lyle and stuff so I I do really like the art on it and I thought he was a great artist from the get-go you know like I I really love the cover um I I mean to me the cover is kind of iconic like uh but I, you know, I mean, I know that I, that said with some strong semblance of nostalgia and everything, but I, I consider the cover really iconic. And then that that splash page where Starman first meets everybody inside the spaceship, like that's, you know, that's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's so cool, you know, like so. And and it's fun too because I mean, I think I think this is my, you know, I know we have the jokes about, you know, Power Girl, you know, I'm a woman's and all that other stuff, right? Because it's it's part of the you know, the, the original appearance is all part of the, you know, women's liberation movement and all that kind of stuff. Right. But this was my introduction to power girl. I don't think I knew too much about her Kryptonian background or anything like that. It just seemed like she was a nice girl that was, you know, super powered and, and, and seemed, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody who was showing, will the ropes and everything so like I, I mean you know as opposed to i guess you know later on in a lot of the other titles you know the people kind of kvetch and moan and you know uh, they they make her kind of like the the angry character for comic yucks in justice league europe and all that other stuff right so there's some people that kind of you know are, are not as big a fan of that or they or it rubs them the wrong way or whatever but for me like this was my introduction to the character and to me she never came off as kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know, like the, you know, just kind of being angry all the time or whatever. Like in this, she seems like, you know, she's she's determined. She's strong. She, you know, she knows what, you know, what she wants and, and what she needs to do to, you know, get the job done and everything. But she doesn't she doesn't seem kind of like a hard ass, I guess, is the best way to put it. Right. And so it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. It, it just seems like. 
uh, a guy meeting peers of his own age, you know, like, you know, whatever they call it, you know, quote unquote, finding your tribe, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Like, you know, that, that seems to be a result of this. The the thing that struck me this time when I was reading it was I I thought it was kind of interesting, like how much Tom Lyle tried to make his con soldiers look like Todd McFarlane's like from the invasion miniseries like I I feel like especially like the one interrogating Adam Strange like just the way you know I mean you you know yeah you're you know he's trying to make it uniform so they have like all the same headgear and capes and all this other stuff but I I just kind of felt like oh wow that to me that looked like what McFarlane was trying to do with those soldiers. So I, I, I found that fascinating that he was basically trying to replicate that. And I thought he did a pretty good job of it too. You know, I, I could see like not having any reference for who Adam Strange is if you didn't know who he was. I mean, I don't even know if I knew who he was when I first read this, you know what I mean? Like, but you know, to me, it's kind of the equivalent of, of busting like, you know, Hank Pym out of jail from the West Coast Avengers. It's like, oh, you finally got your super scientist guy or whatever, you know, your Flash Gordon guy who knows about all the aliens or whatever, you know. So, I, I you know, I don't know. For me, this is just just in general, this huge nostalgic sweet spot for me. So I just, you know, obviously, like I always like talking about books like that. But I, I think, you know, the art and the the story is pretty good. And I, I also just figured, well, you know, you, you know, coming from it from the perspective of you guys, you know, uh, kind of gravitate towards or at least, you know, especially Mike gravitates towards a lot of Marvel comic books. I just figured, hey, you know what, if if uh, Starman worked for some other guys that were Marvel zombies, like maybe that would, uh, you know, turn you on or, you know, it'd be something that you'd, you'd get a kick out of or whatnot. So that's basically why I brought it. It you know what it kind of reminded me of? It's like he kind of reminds me of like Richard Ryder Nova mm-hmm. a bit. Like, yeah, like that's that kind of the vibe I was getting like this. Kid I mean, he's got gets... he's got his sister that he's got to talk to. Like, he's he, you know, he's got a lot of family type issues, you know, the the those whole things. So, yeah, I mean, I totally see, you know, and, and he's kind of thrust into this whole superhero role and and a lot of cosmic stuff right away so yeah that that's totally appropriate uh comparison and and it also kind of reminded me of and like we kind of talked about this the other night but or mentioned it at least but it kind of reminded me a little of invincible like because just because i mean like in a weird backwards way just because you know it's like you know he suddenly kid gets like superpowers and is thrust into this world and Mm -hmm. like you know if you know power girls like almost like adam eve or something yeah like oh hey like you know cool like you just got your powers it's okay like you you know will like nurse made you like through this or whatever yeah so like it's fine so i mean yeah I, i i think the the one thing about this that i think is fascinating for me like just from my perspective is the thing that drew me to purchase the book was firestorm and i think he was the character that was the most unrecognizable not not in terms of the way he looked but in terms of what the character was going through at the time like he was the least like he was from the cartoon and having said that none of the other characters were even in cartoons so so and i think i was young enough at the time you know i was like what nine or ten or something like that you know where i I was i was malleable enough you know i wasn't you know, grumpy old comic fan, right? I wasn't set in my ways or, or what have you. So it was like I, I was willing to sort of 
play along and figure out like what you know what was going on with and i'm all oh i see like this this version of firestorm isn't with the professor you know he's with the the mikhail the 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 russian guy or whatever you know what i mean so it's like you're like oh okay like so you and you're you're sponging all that information up and becomes kind of a you know a fun experience for you to try to, you know, make heads or tails of, of all this kind of stuff. I mean, that, that's how I always looked at it. You know, I mean, I know we're, you know, you guys are just giving me, you know, you're just busting my balls about this kind of stuff, but like, that's that, that for me was always part of the fun, especially when I was younger was kind of discovering stuff, you know, like, like I, I didn't know who Firehawk was, but I've like, she looked fucking cool. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, Oh, I can, you know, I can read more Firestorm comics. And I did. And I, I found out more about the character and everything. And then it was cool to find out like, Oh, look, she, she had this one costume and then George Perez redesigned it in crisis. And that's why the costume looks so fucking cool. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm super nostalgic about it. And, um, and, and I think in general, the, the, the Starman book, at least for me, like the first couple of years is, is a, a pretty decent read. I have a question. No yeah. one at DC stopped and said, Hey, maybe we shouldn't call these bad guys the Kund. What an unfortunate name. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> always a joke because nobody on other podcasts even wants to call them Kunds. Like, like they, I, I, I'm trying to remember what they called them on Supergirl. I think they called them the, the Cahoons because like they, they put an apostrophe in it or something because they're so embarrassed by it. But you have to remember, this was written by Keith fucking Giffen, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure that was like on fucking purpose, right? Like, like, I mean, I don't know, like that, that would be my answer for it. And, and frankly, I don't give a shit if it's unfortunate or not, because that's their names. And when I was a little kid and I was eight or 10 or whatever. What, what you're thinking of was the last fucking thing on my mind. And I just thought they were fucking Klingons. Do you know what I mean? Like something that started with a K and I don't know, but, but maybe that's just a, an innocent way of thinking about it. But yeah, I, I treat the cuns like, uh, like slag. I'm going to keep saying it. I don't care if, uh, somebody's pissed off about it somewhere in the you, outer land. So, so you respect the cuns. I do. I respect the cons. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh, I mean, it's better than simping over the cons, right? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Where, uh, your your impending cancellation grows ever closer. Bring it! Bring it! I'm waiting. When is it going to happen already? All right. Okay. Are we done? Can we can we go to? Uh, part uh, 37 of 500 or whatever Mike brought tonight. That was you. You had an invasion tie-in, dude. Like, we got that out of the way first. <laughs> what are you talking about? This X-Men bullshit. Like, <laughs> the fucking long-running subplot from fucking 1983 finally culminates in 1997. Come on, give me a break. The anyway. end of your issue says to continue to invasion number two, dude. So it's part of a thingy. Like, get over it. You lose. You lose. <laughs> you lose. Continue. Uh, Derek, don't be a cunt over this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what? what's up next? Um, I believe, no, is, I don't know. Is Justin's chronologically first? Mine's December of 1997. Yeah, yours is before. Oh, okay. 98. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah that's right, because Hero's Return was 1998. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I brought Uncanny X-Men number 350 with a cover date of 1997, written by Steve Siegel, penciled by uh, Joe uh, Matarero with Andy Smith, uh, inked by Tim Townsend with assists by Russell and uh, Panosian, colored by Steve uh, Busilato, uh letters by Richard Starkings with Comic Craft, and edited by Mark Powers and Bob Harris. And uh, yeah, Uncanny X-Men number 350, it was, it, as Derek intimated, it, it's, it's a big deal issue. It's um, finally like Gambit's mysterious secret like that he's been holding on to since like, you know, he debuted. Well, although they probably didn't like decide what it was until recently or whatever. But, you know, it's finally revealed. Everything is aired out and like, you know. But uh, yeah, I wrote a. I didn't, you know, we 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 were joking earlier because we went on like the Marvel Wiki and looked at the summary for this issue, and it's fucking like you know a friggin' it's like novel, 20, so. 20 fucking pages. It's, yeah, it, so. it takes longer to read the fucking synopsis than it would to read the actual <laughs> fucking comic book uh-huh. that's double sized. But like I, I wrote a Justin level synopsis of just a single paragraph, so I'll just read that. Like the title of this story is "Trial and Errors." Gambit's greatest secret revealed in a secret fortress hidden in Antarctica. The X-Men are made to participate in a mock trial of their Cajun teammate. Presiding over the trial is a man clad in the armor of Eric the Red, who holds Gambit accountable for the loss of many mutant lives. Gambit's past affiliation with Mr. Sinister is aired out, as well as his assembling of the deadly mutant killers, the Marauders. When Rogue is forced to kiss Gambit and see his memories, she realizes to her horror that Gambit was the one who led the Marauders to the Morlock Tunnels, initiating the so-called Mutant Massacre. The X-Men soon break out of captivity and everyone flees the collapsing fortress. Gambit is abandoned in the Antarctic by Rogue for his sins, and Eric the Red is revealed to be none other than Magneto, Master of Magnetism. So yeah, like this was a uh, a big deal anniversary issue. Like I, I was reading like you know both X Men books at the both main X Men books at the time, and you know this was like hyped up for you know months and months and months and like ads and whatever. And like obviously like you know I think like. Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza had set up like, you know, Gambit had sinister past secrets like, you know, for years and years and years like before that. So this, you know, I and it's funny because I think I told you guys, but I, I don't think I had even read like the mutant massacre at this point. So like when I when I picked this up. Uh, you know, I, I wanted, I went to the comic store that week cause I was like looking forward to this issue, but they ran out of copies and they like, usually they would save me one, but they didn't this time. So like, thankfully, like I was in like, uh, um, this comic store was in a mall. So I, I also knew there was like a little newsstand on the first floor that sold comics. And I went down there and sure enough, they had this. So I, I got it off there. So it counts as a spinner rack issue. So hey. like in. And I remember, like, I was there with my parents, and I was like, oh, like, I'll, I'll be sitting, like, in the, you know, the near the exit, like, reading this, like, whenever you guys are done shopping. So I ran over to the, you know, the benches by the exit and sat down and read this. And, like, like I said, like, I knew what the Mutant Massacre was, and I knew the Morlocks had, like, been killed and stuff, but I didn't, like, you know, 
and like I, I had been reading most of the books for like, uh, you know, a, a couple years and I had a lot of back issues from like this era. So like I, I basically had all the puzzle pieces to like for this to make sense the first time like I read it. I know there's a lot of like, you know, retcons and like, you know, things were moving pieces to make this all work. But like at, at the time, I thought it was like a big deal. I, I do remember um a lot of the letters pages in Uncanny X-Men at the time were saying, like, there's no way that Joseph, like, you know, the, this is the period where Joseph was running around with the X-Men. And he was like a, a de-aged Magneto in his, like, 20s with a memory loss. But, like, a lot of people in the letters pages were like, this Joseph guy can't be Magneto, like, blah, 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 blah. So, like, when this happened, I was like, oh, like, maybe it, it, he isn't Magneto. Like, there is a, like, another, or there is another Magneto out there or something. Like, maybe that's the real Magneto. So, you know, it's a really cool, like, end scene. But I, I, I was kind of, like, expecting it almost at this point. But, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, like, um, I feel like, in the 90s, the X-Men had, like, all these friggin' mystery men running around, like Gambit, Wolverine, you know, Cable, like, whoever else. And, like, they like they would piecemeal out, like, all these revelations and shit. So, like, finally, like, I was like, oh, like, this is finally, like, a, I, I feel like, you know, in the age when I was reading this, all this stuff was, like, a big deal. So, like, you know, the end of the Clone Saga and Onslaught and, like, you know, here, the, the uh, you know, eventually the next year, like I said, would be Heroes Return. So, I, you know, for an 11 or 12-year-old, like, all this stuff, like, felt like a big deal at the time. So, like, I, I think they did a good job, like, you know, making it seem important or maybe I was just young and naive, but like, I don't know, like what, like Derek, what was your context? Like reading was, this issue? I was, I was going to Loyola Marymount. So I was, I was at university or college or what have you. I think this still counts as a spinner at comic for me. Cause I, it's weird. Cause the, the date says it came out in 1997 and that for some reason that feels a little too old. Like I feel like, cause when I, when I first got there, and I didn't know when I first got to L.A. and I didn't know where any comic stores were. I would go to like these newsstands in Marina del Rey. And that's where I remember buying this. But it could have been a case like yours where maybe I knew where the comic stores were by 1997. But maybe it had sold out like, you know, everywhere else. And then like you, I just thought, hey, maybe that newsstand place has it. And, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what happened. So I'm not sure if my mind's playing tricks on me or not, but, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving shit about, you know, X-Men stuff being convoluted and complicated. And, and, and in some cases, I think legitimately not quite lining up with the actual history, but I mean, this was a big deal. Right. And, and it was something, you know, I mean, it, it, it's like a lot of those things like they they teased and teased and teased, you know, like all kinds of stuff. Right. And so th this seemed like, you know, it was the 350th issue. It was double sized. It had that foil fucking whatever it was covered that folded out and all that other fucking bullshit. And, and you felt like, oh, this is going to be you know, this is going to be special. And, you know, I think at the time, I mean, I, I still have those. You know, th th this was something I bought, you know, in my teenage years and, and still have today uh, are those, you know, the Quesada Rogue and Gambit kind of side by side sort of lengthwise posters and everything. And, you know, they're they're supposed to be, you know, uh, uh, 
star-crossed couple, right? And so I was definitely into that, and 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 this was something where I felt like they were gonna, you know, bring, you know, ba- basically it was gonna either continue that estrangement, or you know, th- it seemed like they had gotten to a place where, you know, maybe they they weren't gonna be that way anymore, and. It's funny reading this now. I feel like a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the stuff is super duper melodramatic. And I guess I don't remember thinking that at the time, even even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a kid when I read this, but I was probably, you know, I don't know, 19, 20, something like that. Right. But kind of reading it now it it did seem like it was kind of the dialogue was super duper melodramatic i mean the art is great i i like joe mad i I, you know obviously there's you know i mean i I guess it goes without saying but there's like a lot of kind of anime-esque stuff like the thing that stood out to me the most this time around was when when they're riding through the arctic and like rogues on top of that vehicle saying like oh i'm trying not to cry in front of everybody or whatever and like Something about that, just like despite I mean, I know everybody points to the whole like his style and and the way he, you know, drew. You know, the human form and everything just had a very, you know, manga styled influence, but for whatever reason, you know, when when they're running around on that kind of anime vehicle or whatever, like, I don't know why it just screamed to me like, oh, this this is like an anime, you know, like, like no, no vehicle looks like that in, in like American comics, you know, type thing or whatever. And, um, the other thing that struck me that was funny was, um, was those, uh, I'm trying to remember now, but, um, didn't, didn't Toy Biz make a, um, what is it? Grovel and, spat and grovel spat and grovel didn't didn't toy biz make like weren't weren't they like a fan favorite one or something like it was like i looked it up because i was like i told you guys like the other night like i had a like it was like a fever dream i was like when i was like rereading this issue i was like did they make figures of spat and grovel and i was like i looked it up and i was like they fucking did yeah they did it was part of a line called marvel's most wanted and like it had it, it was Speaking like of, Spat and Grovel, like X-Man and Blink were that yeah. wave. So, I mean, speaking of like flash in the pan characters that no one remembers 20 years later or whatever it is. Right. Like that, that's that. And, and, and X-Men characters to boot, which is kind of ironic, but like th- th- these characters were hot at the time. So they, they were part of like the fan most wanted line or whatever, but yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you'd get Toy Biz to make these characters now and like a gabillion or uh, Hasbro to make these as Marvel Legends in like a gabillion years or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm, you know, trying to answer your question, though, I mean, like. I, I, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, like this was a big deal. Yes, they did do a good job of teasing and hyping it up. And, you know, this did seem like it was going to be something like super duper important, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, not only the X-Men, but with for me, I think I was I was more invested in Gambit and Rogue's relationship at that time. So it seemed like this was going to be some kind of major turning point in that I did. I mean, even back then when I was in my 20s or, you know, 19 or 20 or whenever I read this, 
I did find myself a bit disappointed with the ending of it all. Like, uh, you know, the 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 way it gets revealed is fine. The the way they they all react to it, I think, is fine because they pick people purposely. Like, oh, you know, of course, Angel's going to react the way he does. Of course, you know, Betsy's going to react the way she does because they were all part of that mutant massacre in their own ways. They were all affected by it specifically, you know, when, when that went down. So they're going to all have those certain reactions to things. So I, I thought all that played out pretty well for the most part, even despite me kind of leveling the, you know, melodramatic criticism at everything. I, I, I think that the characters and motivations still seem true despite the melodrama. But the, the thing, I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but the thing that always struck me odd is, so she, she, she kisses Remy. She feels like uh, she she uh, she lost her opportunity to to know the man on his own, like without doing her mutant trick or whatever. And and feels like that's you know some kind of violation or I, maybe that's not the best word, but but that that she was robbed, you know, of of the the opportunity to experience that on her own, like not with her mutant powers or whatever. And after all that, it's like, you know, somebody like Gambit who didn't want to say that he loved Rogue, you know, throughout the entire, you know, his entire arc, right. Is even up to the trial, you know, he didn't want to say it. So she doesn't get hurt and all this other stuff. And I just, you know, I guess I guess it's, you know, basically to, to do the same thing they do with the clone saga. Right. Like you can't you know, it's one of those dumb things. Right. You can't have Gambit and Rogue be happy because the reason why we were buying the comics month after month was to see, like, will they or won't they? And if you have them, you know, will they then then maybe you stop reading. Right. So this was like, oh, they will. And then they drop the trial on you and all this stuff goes down and you're like, oh, so they won't. And and it was just like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but you need the will they or won't they. And it doesn't matter if they get together or they break up, like if it's that definitive. And, and I just felt like it was kind of a weird turn where Rogue's like, OK, I'm going to leave you in Antarctica. You can go fuck off and die now. And and it, and Gambit's was kind of like, but I love you, you know, like and and I I don't know that ending. I, I don't know why, like because I had been invested so much in that relationship, I I felt like there was something kind of soul crushing about it, and maybe that was by intent. And then the Magneto thing, like maybe you think it's a cool reveal, and it is a cool reveal, but. It, it kind of made me chuckle because I'm like, so the trial of Gambit was basically just this major cock block operation by Magneto to fuck over <laughs> Gambit because he was he was finally going to hook up with Rogue. And, and, and Magneto and Rogue have that, you know, that shared intimate history as well. Like that's 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 what it, you know, seemed like to me. And I, I can't really prove this with evidence or anything, but like. And maybe you guys, you know, have the evidence or know more. But I, I always just felt like, like, I get the context of the mutant massacre. But, like, something about that being his deep, dark secret that he used to 
work for Sinister and he assembled the the Marauders, like just doesn't seem to track like it, it almost seems like in the flashbacks, the way they spell it out, it's like, oh, he, he specifically was hired to assemble the Marauders so they could do the mutant massacre. And he like opened the front door of the sewers like and I'm just kind of like when you say it like that, it sounds fucking stupid. And then also. It. To me, it doesn't make sense because the Marauders existed before the mutant massacre was a thing. It's not like the Marauders showed up for the first time during. I mean, am I wrong? Like, didn't didn't they fight with the Marauders and have skirmishes with the Marauders like, you know, Scalp Hunter and Dazzler and some of those guys like before they actually started massacring everybody or or am I just misremembering that? I don't know. Anyway. The, I'm, the, I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah, like they, they existed before that. Yeah. Okay. So well, I was just going to say that I know like like later issues, like I think when a new writer takes over, like later things will like smooth out. Like because people were I remember also people were complaining that Rogue just left him in the Arctic to uh -huh. die or whatever. And like later issues would like smooth that out by saying like, oh, Rogue also absorbed all of gambit's like self-loathing at that moment so like he uh, she like hated him as much as he was hating himself mm. so like you know that that they tried so, to like so that it that's over, the like, that's the, the patch over or whatever yeah. yeah that 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 ending just the the whole him him her leaving him you know like that that did kind of break my heart i guess is the best way to put it and not like in a you know I don't know, not not as part of the story, but like as part of the oh, why why was I why did I invest all my time into this relationship or whatever? Um, I also thought it was hilarious when Rogue's like, oh, I, I ain't never used uh, uh, Miss Marvel's seventh sense in a gabillion years, and and I was just kind of like, yeah, because all the writers probably uh, forgot about it or didn't didn't want you to remember that uh that that was part of her power set or whatever but you know and then and then i guess my other last note was uh hey everybody remember trish tilby like remember alf pogs like you know that that everybody <laughs> forgot existed like opal and all the other girlfriends opal and um you know what's your face uh i can't think of angel's girlfriend kathy oh, southern candy candy southern yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, I don't know. what what about you, Justin? Like, what's your history with this issue? I was with you. I was in the ship. I was buying Uncanny and uh, Adjectiveless X Men at the time. I uh, went to Dalton Books, and there were two issues left. One issue, it looked like someone had burned stole and then got mad and just like crushed it in their hands and put it back on the stand. So I wasn't getting that one. Directly behind it was a perfect copy so that's when i got and read it you know kind of similar to you i think i also sat in the mall and on a bench and read it and waited for you know someone to finish shopping i don't know like the whole mutant massacre thing like i'm with you mike like i was familiar with it i was buying back issues of x-men i don't think i had those issues at the time but i knew basically what happened because you know the whole stuff that happened with angel and everything like i i knew pretty much what went on but i was like Oh, so he, you know, he put these guys together and he opened the door like, oh, and he took payment from Sinister. I was like, that's, that's it. Like this isn't, 
I don't know. It didn't. It seemed like what it seemed to me like his actions didn't warrant the outrage from everyone, like especially Rogue. I don't know. I I guess I could see where Angel would be pretty mad at him, like he had like a small hand to play. But I mean, if you if you've removed Gambit, I mean, Sinister would have hired some other chucklehead to do this, and it would still would have happened. You know, like Angel would have still lost his wings. I don't know. It just it kind of felt like a letdown. And then since I was in the shit and I was a Magneto fan, I was on board with this whole like, you know, face turn with, you know, Joseph is, uh, is Magneto and he like doesn't remember anything and he's all sweet on rogue and everything. I was on board with that within the last page. Like that's a great splash page. Like that's a great image of Magneto, but that super confused me. And I was like, but wait, we have Joseph. So I was like, is one of them, like, I was like, one of them has to be, like, not real. Either Joseph is a clone or something, or or this is, like, a LMD of Magneto, or, like, I don't know, like, that kind of, like, confused me. So, I I don't know, like, I like the art in this. I, I think the cover is really nice. I like that splash page of Magneto, but, like, back then, this was kind of a letdown for me, and... I was telling Mike, like, I hadn't read this in probably 23 years at the very least, and it took me a minute to, like, get myself back, like, in step. Like, okay, what was going on with X-Men at this time? Like, oh, yeah, it was this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then and then you mentioned your fever dream of, like, the spat and grovel action figures. Like, I remember that, too, because, like, I remember being with my friends at lunch, and we were flipping through Toy Fair, and we were like, oh, my gosh, like, they get action figures – well, obviously, these guys are going to be a big deal in X-Men going forward. <laughs> I, we, I actually, we had no I, idea. I looked it up because I was curious. Do Spat and Grovel ever show up again? And I guess Grovel doesn't, but Spat like shows up in an issue of like Gambit series like from a few years from now that like oh. Missy Aza writes. So, okay. like, but I like otherwise, like, yeah, I don't think they show up again. Like, they weren't a thing. That yeah, they, 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 they were not a thing. It's one of those fan favorite things that no fan voted on because yeah. they were already tooled and made and ready to go. No, no, no one made me laugh this time. And it's only like a laugh in like hindsight or retrospect is when at the like, you know, when that last scene when, you know, Magneto's attendant robot is like, you know, taking away like the armor, the Eric the Red armor, like Magneto says like, oh, hold on to that. Like, I found it very enjoyable to like be among my enemies without them knowing who I am. And I'm like, well, you're going to do it when Grant Morrison like takes over too. So, you know, yep. I guess, yeah, like technically you like not really you, but you know, but I, I have a question for you guys. What was in that little tube that sinister gave gambit was that ever explained i i i had to look that up too because i was like what the fuck was that and yeah. then i looked it up was, and is that for belladonna or something no it's it, it that is another thing that comes up in like fabian Nicieza's gambit like ongoing series that it, i don't know it's stupid it's like it's like a piece of gambit's brain like what? that like like <laughs> what he what? went like, yeah. don't, don't give me shit about fucking invasion, you fucks. It's, like, no, it's, 
like gam like part of the payment that like for sinister was like like i guess gambit's power when he was younger gambit's powers were going out of control and he was like uncontrollably like blowing shit up so sinister operated on him and removed the part of his brain that like like gave him his full powers so he could control them but like Gambit was like, oh, you're not keeping that part of my brain because I don't want you to clone me or do any like stupid shit with it. So like that was part of his payment was like, give me back that part of my brain that you cut out. That's so it's, dumb. It is. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like once I saw that, I was like, I know I I've know I know I looked up before what that vial was, but let me look it up again just so I can remember. And I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> like that is dumb. Like okay. So when Gambit is like resurrected on Krakoa, does that mean that part of his brain is back and he has his full powers? <laughs> I don't know if that's ever come up. Again. Has anyone ever even remembered that little piece yeah. of continuity? I uh-huh. doubt it. <laughs> He's like, no, that's why Gambit talks all funny because Sinister took out a little <laughs> one thing of his brain. Uh, and you just thought it was a Cajun accent. Nope, he has a speech uh, impediment. This is missing a piece of his brain. but yeah i mean you know in retrospect you can see like all the like oh they didn't plan any of this until like very recently and like until they decided what they were going to do with it because you know they there was that issue from years before this of like oh what's gambit's secret connection to sabertooth it was just like you know he he, like met sabertooth like when he was a kid like in in france or something and sabertooth killed some girl he was like with or whatever and that was like the whole thing but this is like oh he also knew sabertooth again like you know with with the marauders and he worked for mr sinister you know like none none of this none of this stuff was planned like this is just all like you know what can we come up with that makes sense basically like and you know, most of the time that is what comics is about. Like, unless you get a writer who's able to stay on a book for like, you know, 10 years or something. But, you know, most of the writers, especially with X-Men at the time, had to pick up the pieces of the previous writers. So. Patch things up, smooth things out, repair things, what have you. I do think it's funny that like that Eric the Red, like Magneto is disguised as Eric the Red and his name, like this is the first time like his name is actually Eric, like, you know, like, so it's not really much of a disguise. It's like, you know, Eric the Red, like, I don't feel like that. I mean, I know he's he's Eric Magnus Lenscher, but I don't I mean, I'm pretty sure like Nisieza or somebody was the one who came up with the Eric Lenscher name. Like, I don't think that was a thing for a long time but it might have been a thing yeah. by now but and now, uh, now that, that that's been retconned as like an alias too hasn't it mm, now he has okay. like another real name or something okay. he's yeah. like friggin char asnable now or something like he's got like four different names i guess i was going to use this as an opportunity just to say in general to who's ever listening and cares that i did enjoy reading claremont's recent gambit i guess miniseries you call it or whatever these these retro miniseries that marvel keeps putting out for you know crusty old guys with onions on their belt like me you know like and and uh i mean i'm not going to tell you like it's going to change your life or it's the greatest thing ever but uh it it takes place like you know basically you know in between the the panels of like i guess 
X-Men 266 and 267 or something like that. But, I mean, I, I, I thought it was fun at least, you know. So, I mean, I guess I guess it has that, as I like to call it, the Top Gun Maverick syndrome. Like, it didn't, it, it, it was it was good, you know, like it, it didn't suck. Like, so it's outstanding now by those, those, uh, parameters, I guess, you know, but, um, I don't know. I've, I've tended to like a lot of those quote unquote retro miniseries that Marvel has been releasing, like that Gambit one. And I just figured since, you know, Gambit's, you know, basically the main focus of this book, obviously. And it was something that we were all kind of into at the time that, uh, if you like Gambit, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't do much harm in, in checking out that miniseries. Uh, Justin, like, uh, I, I've only kept, you, you probably kept more track of this than I have, but Gambit and Rogue are still married, right? Like in current yes. comics. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, I feel like that, you know, that Gambit and Rogue miniseries from a few years ago and when they actually got married was like a, like a wish fulfillment from this era of X-Men mm. or something like some writer who had grown up with these comics were like, I'm finally going to give Gambit and Rogue their happy ending. Like, you know, I'm going to finally like, you know, get them married or whatever. So. Yes. Ultimately, uh, Magneto's cock blocking failed in the end. <laughs> Sadly. Failed. Uh-huh. I, don't, I was going to say like, I think like, um, who writes, is it Claremont or maybe it's Lubdell, like who writes like the era sort of after this when Marrow is part of the team? I I think it's Lubdell. Claremont okay. doesn't come back until they do that. Whole oh, extreme Neo X-Men, or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, I remember like when Magneto comes back for real, like, you know, after this like reveal, like where, where, you know, right before he takes over Genosha or whatever. And like, I think like Marrow kind of calls him out. Whereas like, if you were so like hung up on the mutant massacre, why didn't you ever like, you know, offer the Morlocks like a home on asteroid M or come and, you know, help us. And shit. But see, am I, am I misremembering shit? Wasn't he the fucking headmaster of the new mutants during the fucking mutant massacre? Yeah, like, I think so. Yep. So what the, I mean, I, that kind of stuff doesn't make any sense to me because I'm kind of like, dude, he was, he was at the mansion with every fucking buddy else. Like what the fuck was he supposed to do? Like he was, I think he was just as blindsided as everybody else at the time, but I don't know. I, I think she was just talking about like before that, like she was, mm-hmm. why didn't you like all these years, the more you oh, knew all, the more locks existed years. and you yeah, didn't like you, help you them or anything like, or giving them a little, extra orbital satellite or a moon base or something like you you need not live in the smelly sewers any longer come to asteroid m we have showers up here like you know it's it's funny because they 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 do always make that stink about like even when eric the red's putting quote-unquote gambit on trial like there's that dialogue about how only only the pretty X-Men get to go to the mansion or only the pretty mutants. You know what I mean? Like, like somehow there's another level with the Morlocks because they're all supposedly so hideous that society, you know, they can't basically they're mutants, but they can't pass as human. Right. Whereas the, the, you know, the, the traditional, you know, beautiful, pretty, whatever you want to call them, X-Men can all pass as human beings with, but then, of course, there's exceptions, right? Like Beast and, you know, whatever, right? Maggot, I guess, like whoever, right? But, you know, 
I don't know. I, I, I always find that kind of weird. It's like, it's like, uh, we're hated and oppressed. Well, we're more hated and oppressed than you and, and, and you're pretty and yeah, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like weird that they have uh kind of like that petty internal I, caste I, system or hierarchy or whatever it is. Like, I, I love that. I think it's like a Warren Ellis like story of like astonishing X-Men where they fight like that dude who was like a mutant, but he was just like a, like all, like he was a, a, a born with birth defects and he was just had, you know, he was just deformed and shit and he had no mutant powers or whatever. And like, you know, he was all angry at the X-Men because he was like, oh, you would never like welcome me because I'm not like attractive and I don't have powers and I'm a deformed freak and stuff. And Cyclops is just kind of like, you know, great. Now there's people who like hate us because we're not outcast enough. Like, you know, so. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, like I said, this it was fun rereading this. Like 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 you said, Justin, like I probably hadn't read it like like in 20 years either. So like, you know, it was fun revisiting this and, you know, unlocking old like nostalgic memories about it. So, yeah. Mm-mm. This be some spread. Ebbit not going to be playing solitaire tonight. Gambit, what are you doing over here, talking to yourself in the third person? And what's all this food? Oh, Professor, Gambit have plans tonight. Once Cher shows up, Gambit gonna wine and dine her. Then we gonna listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Fan Holes? I'll not have my school turned into a den of debauchery and science fiction trivia. No, Gambit. You'll just have to perform your obscene mating rituals elsewhere. Uh-oh. Sound like the professor getting a little cranky. Gambit think it's time for you to go to bed. What? What are you... Ow! Unhand me at once! Unhand me, you swamp-fed ignoramus! Relax, Mona me. Gambit just gonna tuck you in real nice. Uh, X-Men, emergency help! Curse you, fan holes! And don't mess with the fan holes! Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com That damn song is stuck in my head now. Thanks a lot, Pete Holmes. My mind! Yay. Alright, so then I guess for our final book of the night, Justin, why don't you tell us what you brought to share with the class? I brought Fantastic Four, Volume 3, Number 4. It has a cover date of April 1998 and a cover price of a whopping $2.99. Her story is The Enemy Within, written by Scott Liddell and Chris Claremont, illustrated by Salvador LaRocco. As the thing flirts with male person Billy Lumpkin, the Silver Surfer and Alicia Masters arrive at their recently destroyed Four Freedoms Plaza. The Surfer is weak but warns of a looming threat to the Earth. 
the other members of the Fantastic Four arrive and eventually follow the Silver Surfer to Canada. The Mole Man appears, but he is no threat as he and his Moloids are sick. Suddenly, Terminus attacks. He is entirely comprised of Moloids. Eventually, the Silver Surfer uses the Power Cosmic to eradicate Terminus, which cures the weak Mole Man and his minions. So this is kind of a odd time for the Fantastic Four, like this is Hero's Return. And Scott Lodell is writing this, but issue five will be like his last credit on this volume, I think. Like after that, it's all Chris Claremont. Once Chris Claremont takes over, like it kind of becomes uh, another volume of like Excalibur or like an yeah. extension of old Excalibur yep. storylines and characters and stuff. And I, I don't know, like. I think the overall consensus is like the Claremont run on Fantastic Four is not well liked. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of Fantastic Four. I kind of agree with that. Like, I don't really care for it. Like, I've read this whole volume. And I think his stuff is not, you know, not the best. But like, and even when I brought up this book, I think, I think Derek at least was like, oh no. But like, I think this is a pretty solid book. Maybe it's because Scott Lodell was still had a hand in it i mean i remember at the time like when this book was announced and it was like you know scott liddell's writing i was like oh cool like i you know i was enjoying his x-men output so i just kind of expected like to enjoy it and i figured it had to be better than the heroes reborn stuff because i was mm. not a fan of i mean the jim lee art was killer but like that was the only thing i liked about that fantastic war volume but yeah like i I like this, and I don't know, I, I suspect, like, Derek has stuff to say because, you know, Silver Surfer shows up, and there's some drama with Alicia because they didn't know it at the time, but, like, when they came back from Heroes Re Return, like, when they came back from the Heroes Reborn war world, the thing, like, went through a transformation, and he turned into a giant crybaby, so he's crying about Alicia here and all this stuff, <laughs> and, you know. Turns out, like, he's not made of rocks. He's made of old, like, diapers that Franklin used, would, and he's a duty head. Would, would you say that Thing respects the Kung? He does. <laughs> That's why he's crying over it. He was simping for the Alicia Kung. You know, th I mean, th this is continuity porn or whatever, uh -huh. because, I mean, J.M. DiMatteis was writing Silver Surfer, and be like you said, because of, of Heroes Reborn and, and the FF being missing, like, Alicia Masters became, you know, part of Silver Surfer's supporting cast and essentially became his, uh, you know, Doctor Who companion or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, they do toy with the idea of, you know, well, you know, I, I mean, I guess they try to make Ben Grimm like the better man at the end of this where he's like, well, and, you know, if you if you hurt her feelings, then you'll have to answer to me. But, you know, as long as she's happy, that's that's all I care about is basically how how this kind of resolves rather neatly. And in your defense, I mean, this issue is fine, dude. Like, yeah. I mean, I think I think when you brought it up, you know, I was getting those flashbacks of, you know, Excalibur's greatest hits and shit, because that I, I agree, like like all that stuff. I was just like, why the fuck is there Excalibur shit in my Fantastic Four? You know what I mean? It's like, why is there this fly in my soup, you know, basically? And, and, and uh, I think my recollection, I mean, I may be exaggerating, but my recollection is we were all dancing in the street on top of cars when the. Uh, 
when Claremont stopped writing <laughs> uh, this this run of Fantastic Four. Like, I mean, I, I, I and 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 I mean to put it in perspective, I'm pretty sure Jeff Loeb took over after that, and and we were still dancing in the streets because we didn't know any better, and yeah. it actually wasn't half bad. Um, so um, that's probably the nicest thing I'm gonna say. I mean, this, you know, I like I said, I don't think I've read this since I read it. So, I mean, yeah, it was fun to see the art. The art's really cool. I like Salvador LaRocca's art a lot. I had forgotten that um, this version of Terminus was made up of a bunch of moloids. So I was like, did it give you uh, painful flashbacks about your barrel of monkeys that previously was serving as Fortress Maximus? <laughs> you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I mean, I, you know, the, the, it, it, it's it, the other thing about it. That's funny is it does seem to be pretty thing centric, at least for the first half of it. And then it's like, oh yeah, the fantastic four is in this too, you know? But I mean, aside from that, I, I think it's a fine issue. Yeah. This is like right before it all like goes off the rails. I was going to say like, cause right. like I, I was reading this book at the time too. And like, well, it was like me and my friend, we were like, you know, trading and swapping books. And I like, you know, when heroes return happened, I was like, well, I'm going to read like Iron Man and Avengers. And he was like, okay, well I'll read like fantastic four. And like, I think it was like Hulk or Thor or what one of those like book books. Oh, it must've been Thor. Cause that came a little later, but but was yeah, and then Cap. Oh, maybe he was reading Cap. I don't remember exactly. All I knew was I had Iron Man and Avengers, and I'd like swap and get Fantastic Four from him. So like I was reading this for a little while. But yeah, like you know, once Claremont comes over, it's like you know we always joke like freaking Gatecrasher and like all those like, Excalibur guys. And like I was, I'd be reading this like I don't know what the hell's going on. And like you know we would joke about it and stuff. And uh, but yeah, but I mean before that, like this is issue was pretty good. Like I like this issue. Like I think you know. It's a, a, I liked the, the period, like, I liked the setting that they, like, since the Thunderbolts, like, blew up, blew up Four Freedoms Plaza, they had that, they had that, like, dock base or whatever, yeah. so, and, yeah. you know, and, the, and, then, like, and then they, they can do their shameless plug for the Thunderbolts comic, and we can do our shameless plug for Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar <laughs> yeah. to Life in a Thunderbolts podcast. So. Uh-huh, I was gonna, yeah, mention that as well, yeah, so. I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, they're doing the whole, like, the Silver Surfer and Alicia thing. Like, this is a double-sided issue, and a lot of the early pages are Thing, and he's, like, uh, kind of flirting with their new male person, like Billy Lumpkin. And I was like, oh, okay, they're going to, like, put these two together. But, like, I think she only has, like, one more appearance in this in this volume, and then they kind of, like, you know, uh, they forget thanks. she exists until, like, ten years later or something. So I was like... Oh, I, yeah, that never happened, did it? I wonder if that was like a Lobdell idea, and Claremont was just like, "Oh no, we ain't putting thing with no male woman." Like, what, what's you know, let's forget all that nonsense or something. Forget the forget the male woman who's uh, what Willie Lumpkin's granddaughter or whatever. We, yeah. we need we need Widget and um, <laughs> and the all those and and the Council of whatevers to to come over. The Council of whatevers. The Council of Cuns? Yes, something like that. <laughs> but yeah, like I liked it. I liked the art. I mean, I like I said, another like a nostalgia trip to the same period of comics I was reading. So like I, I did enjoy this a whole lot. 
I, I remember arguing with my friends at the lunch table that like Terminus should be like a bigger deal than he mm. is portrayed in the comics because like it seemed like any time I read an appearance of his, like it was either it was like a one one and done issue and like the threat was dealt with and I was like, Well, shouldn't he be like a bigger threat? Like he's this huge, you know, guy. Like he's as big as Galactus. Not he, I'm not saying he's as powerful, but I was like, you know, this guy should be like a bigger threat than they kind of treat him. But it seems like he was always like one and done. And and here, I mean, this is a double sized issue, but still, it's like you know the issue. You know, Silver Surfer solves the problem, and he's all dissolved. The only thing that's left is his armor. Well, I mean, the 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 uh, at least as far as the burn terminus goes, I think it was always supposed to be like uh, a wizard of Oz thing, you know, like, like the mm. whole, like, you know, yeah. Oh, he looks like Galactus, but then you pulled behind the curtain and it's some little, you know, tiny dipshit alien, you know, running the whole thing. Right. So that, that would account for why it's a done in one. Cause that's supposed to be the twist. Right. But then it's like, they kept going back to that well, like again and again to use Terminus more and more. So it's like, I mean, I, I think in, in this issue's defense, at least they put a new spin on it. You know, he was, I mean, you know, I was giving you shit about it, but I mean, he was made of moloids, right? And there's some kind of body horror aspect to that. And at some point, you know, I think Ben Grimm and the surfer are like, well, the moloids can't really survive up here. So who do you think he's going to use, you know? if he's going to continue being, you know, Galactus sized, it's going to be all the human beings, you know? So it's like, and then when you hear that, you're like even more kind of creeped out by it. So, I mean, at least, I don't know, to me, I was like, oh, well, at least that puts a new spin on the whole threat of Terminus than, than some of the other follow-ups they had, you know, where it's like, oh, I think like Hercules kicks his ass and some other stuff. Right. So. I was wondering, um, because I don't remember, like, who the fuck was, um, what's his face, uh, the new bad guy, uh, Crucible? Yes. Yeah, what what did he turn out being? I don't even remember. I, that I didn't look up. I don't know if either of you guys remember anything about that. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Was he, did he end up being in that Loeb run? I'm trying to remember if Claremont even did anything with him or not. I should look that up. Hang on. Let's see. Crucible. Let's Marvel. See. Yeah. Let's see if we can. Is this the right version? Yeah, it looks like him. If this says he was first introduced in Kirby's run. Ma Maris Morlock? Morlock, his name was. Oh, I've got another guy. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong Christian. Uh, I think I've got the right guy. Yeah, like. And uh, it sounds like, uh, I don't know, the the official profile for him on Marvel's page sounds like awful. Like, it sounds like he was destroyed by a black hole grenade or what? I don't know, whatever. Okay, I don't even want to look it up now. <laughs> yeah, see, because it, it says he relocated to Genosha, so that sounds a bit Claremonty. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. Anyway, a shadowy villain who turned out to be a massive disappointment. Big surprise, because he yeah, wasn't fucking exactly. Dr. Doom, that's why. That's probably what everyone was expecting, yeah. Well, it's, it says his armor was made by the same monks that made Dr. Doom's armor, so that's probably why he looks like that. But Okay. Well, I definitely like uh, LaRocca's take on the FF, and 
Silver Surfer. I mean, they're they're all nice images and everything. So, and even the Mole Man is is pretty cool looking under his uh, his pen. But yeah, I mean, I don't. What do you call? I don't have a whole lot else to say about this issue other than yeah, I enjoyed it and I'm I'm glad I read it again and it gave me the same like nostalgia vibes as like my issue did. So thanks, Justin. Yeah. No problem. I think the only other thing I have is pontificating whether Ben Grimm's thing feet would ultimately destroy his little tiger bunny slippers or whatever those are. And can he feel the comfort that those slippers are supposed to provide? Or does is it just for show? <laughs> I don't know. Someone thought the artist just thought it was badass somehow. No, no, no. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Is it just for show? Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, normally he runs around barefoot. And it's not like if he ran around barefoot, like the Terminus could stub his toe or anything, right? So he must uh, eventually destroy those bunny slippers at some point just by sheer force of his feet but anyway but yeah so i guess i guess that's it then um yeah so then i guess uh that will wrap things up for this evening's episode if you guys have any comments questions and great great concerns you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com you can download, direct download, all the backlog of episodes over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. And we can be streamed. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, being abandoned in the Antarctic, signing off. And this is Justin. Don't cut out my brain thoughts. Norn Rad was my real name. Had a job that I hated every day, till that one day I told my boss to just shove that damn J-O-B, because I found a place I could rest my head, maybe call my home. Trapped on this planet, I know. Found a bunch of other superpower people like before. Fought against evil on my silver surfboard. Because everybody wants the power cosmic. Skate across space, that's our department. I know alien races. Kind of scared when they think that the hell is there to cause pain. But I'm trying my best for the past mistakes. Try to do good through time and space. Because I've seen every star and I've seen every planet. But I always seem to come back to the same place. Well, maybe I can be your golden rat. On a shooting star, and I can catch a wish right in my hand. Maybe I can be your golden rat and show you every star that you saw to death. We can find adventure in the middle of space and always come back to the same place to Earth. And just as long as you serve, let's go back to Earth. That's where I met you first. Yeah, back to Earth. And just as long as you serve, let's go back to Earth. Yeah. One day saw a shooting star, and you wished very hard for it to go far, so far, so the people of the galaxy could all make a little wish when they saw. But you didn't realize that it was just me, up in the sky, so you see. And I never stop, and I never quit, and you can leave every wish right here with me. And I would take that wish to the ends of the galaxy, so that every alien race would just have to see. Some good, some bad, but I can't explain, because humanity survived through the tragedy. Back then, we'll mostly 
you just screw when you see Norn Brad, then you just screw for Galactus. But I'm so glad I met you, and I'm glad that you smiled when you saw me too. Well, maybe I could be your Norn Brad. Maybe I could give you what you never had. You can make a wish on a shooting star, and I can catch a wish right in my hand. Maybe I could be your Norn Brad. Show you every star that you saw with your dad. We can find adventure in the middle of space, and always come back to the same place. To Earth. Let's go back to Earth. Years from now, I will return the piece of Justin's brain that I cut out. Stop exploding everywhere, Justin. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, that's so typical, too. It's like, like when they wrote this issue, it's like, you know, what was the payment? No one knew at the time. Like, you know, what was, you know, yeah, how did any of this work? Like, no one knew. Like, I mean, I just kind of want to, like, okay. So Gambit was the only person who can infiltrate himself into the sewer to open the door. Like, what? Like, I don't, I don't know that I understand any of that. <laughs> but okay, it was you, you who infiltrated the sewer and led everybody there. You opened the door of the sewer. you should feel bad and he does feel bad he feels terribly bad about it <laughs> uh, 